Welcome to the Tune Under pod. We've just about caught our breath after the chaos of the January transfer window. And it looks like there might be some actual football, an actual football match on the horizon. We've had a, a couple of weeks without football and we've had all the, the transfer chaos. So we're pretty excited to be able to have an actual football match to talk about. I'm Jack and with me today, as usual, is a freshly shaven Bobby in Ballarat. Have you recovered? Jack, how you doing? Good. Have you recovered from the stress of the transfer window yet, Bobby? Yeah, yes. It's It's been good to have a week away from that. So um, um, I'm glad it's over, to be honest. A lot of names were flying around and not many came through of those names mentioned. So that's uh, good to have some normality in a game against uh, a rival in Everton. Yeah, it was uh, It was quite, quite stressful towards the end of the transfer window there. I think everyone's glad it's over, at least until the summer when things should hopefully be a little bit calmer then for us as well. Like, I don't think we'll ever see another transfer window like that for Newcastle. Speaking of stress and chaos, we're, we're really pleased to be able to welcome an Everton fan onto the pod today um, to help us preview the massive match at St. James's Park, which is going to be Wednesday morning, Australia time. So thanks for joining us, Josh. How are you going? Yeah, I'm going well. Thank you, boys. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So before we get into the football uh, I just want to ask how how come a boy from Bendigo ends up following Liverpool's second and um, most successful football club, Premier League club? <laughs> What's you're poking the bear? Um... <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't resist. Um, I couldn't resist. Yeah. What's it? But 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 yeah. What's your experience of supporting Everton as an Australian? How did you get into it? It's interesting. I think back because there's it, times where I, I struggle to even remember how it actually came about and. I always loved the sport. I remember watching the highlights on SBS every Monday um, as a kid growing up. And um, football manager, played football manager, hence why I did no good at school. I never did any homework as a football manager. And I think it might have been early 2000s, I was playing football manager as a manager of Everton and basically made the decision then, yeah, I'm going to follow this mob because I need to pick a team. Um, and I, I love the sport. I watch the highlights every Monday night, but I don't actually have a team. So... Um, and then really, to, so it was a bit half-hearted to begin with. And then Timmy Cale arrived on the scene, I think 2004 or thereabouts. Um, and, and obviously having an Aussie play, making such a big impact of the club as well really started to cement it for me. Mm. So that's how it came about. I think it was football manager. Football manager's got a lot to answer for there, hasn't it then? Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you, could have, you could have ended up supporting Millwall, to be fair, though. That's who Tim Cale played for first, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they did. He went over to Millwall and, um, yeah, fortunately for me, I wasn't playing with them on Football Manager. <laughs> he was a he was some player, wasn't he, though, for Everton? Oh, unbelievable. He was... He, he's a, he'd just get the job done. Really passionate. He just left it all on the field. The same as he did with the Socceroos. Like, you just knew that when he went out there, he was going to give it his all. Um and I'm sure we'll get to this conversation piece a little bit later on, but you see money thrown at players nowadays that, that lick their lips and, and get a nice paycheck and don't actually play for the shirt. Timmy was just, uh, as an Australian, sort of following an Aussie playing for, for a club over there, um, yeah, we had more skillful players, Viduka and Q and the like, um, but just what Timmy gave in, in terms of for the shirt when he played, whether it was Socceroos, Everton, whoever it was, um, just so easy to support. And in terms of Everton in Australia, do they have many fans in Australia? Because obviously Liverpool, Man United yeah. tend to 
um, dominate overseas markets. Yep. But yeah, how about Everton go in Australia? Yeah, we do. We've got quite a big community. Like it, and it would be similar to, I guess, how you guys see it from a Newcastle point of view. You've got your community that you have on Twitter that you've never met these blokes, but all of a sudden you you keep stumbling across people in Australia um, that, that support Everton. So it's surprising. Yeah, we, we do have quite a big support. Um, not as big as your big six, your, your glory hunters that, that jump <laughs> on the bandwagon and the like. Um, there's plenty of them, as you mentioned, but... It's surprising how how many people, especially on social media, that you can interact with that live in Australia that support Everton. Mm. That's how this podcast was born, mate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I can imagine. Yeah, you guys would be in the same boat. Like, not everyone thinks Newcastle, um, but for you, I'm sure you see plenty that actually support support yeah. the club. Yeah, we did. We did a um a podcast about how uh, Bobby and the other Australian based guys ended up following Newcastle. And I think there's something to be said for um, fans who don't just go and support the teams that are winning everything. Uh, it's kind of like a curse, but it's it's also a blessing, you know, and it's a really special thing for clubs to have fans who've just chosen to support clubs that don't win things. Yeah, I've always been really big on that. Um, and I know talking AFL, Bobby and I are Tigers supporters for years and years and years. There was never any success. So maybe that was a piece of it as well, but... I'm used to not. I'm used to no glory, so I wanted to go for a, go for a club that was thereabouts, <laughs> was competitive, but yeah, not glory hunter. I'm ne- never big on a glory hunters. I've been in Australia since 2018, and all I've seen is Richmond Tigers win the flag. So <laughs> um, I'm I'm obviously a Lions boy now. So yeah, but yeah, they've, they've picked up a bit lately for a long time. Mate, the 35 years prior to 2017 was very Newcastle esque. I can tell you yeah. that being a Richmond supporter. Yeah, same with me and the toppies. Yes. Thank God thank God for Dusty Martin, eh? Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> so we're going to talk specifically about the match in part two a little bit later. But first, I really just want to empathise with you, Josh, because it turns out that you now support a complete basket case of a football club as well. Mm. The way the way things have been at Everton lately, um, Bobby, Bobby and I obviously have vast experience of supporting a a football club that's stupid and does crazy things all the time. But this is probably quite a new phenomenon for for you and for Everton fans because for quite a long time, they've been pretty stable. They've kind of been top half of the league all the time. So this uh, this is probably going to be quite a difficult question and it's probably got kind of a nuanced answer. But what the hell has happened at Everton over the last few years? No, no, no one direction. Um, So like... (laughs) You've got so Mashiri came in whenever he came in, heaps of money to throw around. Um, he wants one thing. You had the director of football, Marcel Brands, who's since left the club. Um, he wanted another thing. You have, have managers that come in, or like whether it be Rafa or Carlo Ancelotti, um, they bring in their own players. Normally, in an ideal world, you'd probably just go, You've got a director of football. We put everything in your hands. You pick the manager um, and you get the players in to suit his style, but you've got people from everywhere pulling in different pieces of puzzles. And um, this is probably a simplistic way of looking at it, but the way I've sort of dumbed it down is you've got all these players have been brought in, big money, ended up being failures. We can't offload them. Um, We've assigned them to long contracts. Because they're on big money, you can't sell them because no one... 
people might pay a fee that you're willing to accept, but they're not going to match your wages. And play in a lot of cases, the players will just sit on that contract. Um, and and so you've got all these players from different managers or different directors of football sitting there that don't, that don't fit the mould. Um, and because of the chop, chopping and changing of bad results leading to managerial changes, um, it's just that, that's a way I look at it as just an absolute basket case, but that's my explanation for it. Mm. If that makes um, sense. Yeah, it does. And Bill Kenwright's still hanging around there, isn't he, as well? So yeah, Mashiri's is. Is like the majority shareholder. So yep. he, he's the, the kind of the one calling the shots. But Kenwright's been there for years and years. I've seen yep. a bit of unhappiness on social media that he's still there. He's like, and it, it seems obvious that there's kind of a difference of opinion between those two people when it comes yeah. to managerial appointments or yep. signing players. What's Kenwright doing there still? Don't know. Um, he's, it, it's funny, uh, you don't know what goes behind the scenes. So I, I'm really hesitant. I'll, I don't really have a really strong opinion on what Ken, whether Ken Wright's the right fit or not. I know there's a lot of people on social media that are dead against him being there. Um, but I've, I've heard whispers that Ken Wright only accepted the, the bid or the takeover from Mashiri under, under the proviso that he, he would still be able to do what he does. Um, and then you hear he has he has a hand in negotiations and with managerial appointments as well. You have Mashiri wanting someone, Ken Wright wanting someone, Marcel Brands when he was there wanting someone else. Um, mm. Yeah, so I, I don't know what Bill does. Um, I'm sure he does plenty, but I don't know whether it's a good or bad thing. I'm not mm. quite sure. And it was it kind of came to the, the press attention and it was quite um, demonstrative of the problems at Everton recently when. Benitez was backed, so kind of at the start of January, yeah. and he he sold Lucas Dinia for twenty five million to Aston Villa, and then three days later, and he got he got Brands sacked as well, yeah. reportedly. So he, yeah. Rafa, we we know that Rafa's not a person who likes being told what to do or likes mm-hmm. working underneath people. Um, so he got Brands sacked, and then he sold Dinia because he fell out with him, and then three days later, he'd been sacked himself. <laughs> The amount of people I've been trying to explain this to over the last couple of days, because my poor young fella, I bought him, his birthday's in November. So I jumped on, I bought him a couple of kits, I think in October. One was a Pickford goalkeeper kit and the other one, because um, he, lo- he loves playing, run, run around in the backyard being a goalkeeper. Other one was Luca Dean, which he requested. And I got, gave it to him on Christmas. He never played a game in Everton, fellas. <laughs> so I gave him Pickford one for his birthday, Luca Dean for Christmas. And we went for a kickabout yesterday, <laughs> and he's rocking his Luca Dean away kit, and he's trying. He goes, "Why can't we just buy him back?" Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just, "Oh no!" So yeah, to your point, where they backed in Rafa, sold Luca Dean, sacked him two or three days later. Um, yeah, difference of opinion or strategy with Marcel Brand. So Brand stepped away. Rafa got rid of all of our medical staff as well, um, mm. and so I don't know what the what where we're at in terms of our medical staff now, they've basically shipped off a whole host of different people from within the club um, or had a hand in doing so. And, and then, mm. which isn't his fault because he was making decisions what he thought was the right thing to do. But then the clubs allowed him to make all these wholesale changes and then have gotten rid of him, which adds to us being a basket case. Mm. Do you think Rafa was 
do you think it was always destined to fail, or do you think because he had a decent start, um, and he was obviously some fans were always going to be against him because of the Liverpool mm. connection. But do you think he was always fighting an uphill battle to make a success of that job? Potentially, but I, th- I think if you win games, I think if you have success on a pitch, people's mindset's going to change. So you're going to have people out there going, ex-Liverpool manager, yeah, we're against it. But if he continued that start to the season and kept getting good results, you didn't hear too much in a way of bad bad things said about him after about four or five games. It's just when the, the injuries hit, um, the results started to turn, his... Um, unwillingness to change his strategy when when it wasn't working and it's and it just snowballed from there. So I think with some some people it was never going to work. But I I think with any sort of football club, if irrespective of who you are, if you if you get the results, hmm. no no one's going to be barking up that tree. Yeah, football fans are fickle, aren't they? They'll they'll Very. just uh, yeah the the results come and they'll just go they'll go with it. So. I think, um, I don't know what you think about this, Bobby, but I, I was quite surprised at the way Everton were playing under Benitez because with Newcastle, he had us so well drilled. I think he had the players and we were really strong defensively. And he obviously had a bit of time to build that up and through the, the season we're in the championship. But Everton were just making, when I saw them, they were just, they, I mean, that Watford game was obscene, you know? And it was just the most un-Benitez performance that I, I think I'd ever seen. Yeah, he was. Um, it was weird at the start watching them play, and it was obviously not his team. And he was inherited um, players that he sort of didn't want, and so he was playing a certain style that sort of suited them. And then, you know, funny enough, um, Sharpie saying about the injury crisis that occurred, and that's when all the medical people went because obviously he wasn't happy. The one thing we know with Rafa is our players were fit, and they got better as the year went on. Um, they got fitter, they got stronger, and there was no injuries in the back half of the season. So I wonder if um, he could see some writing on the wall with that as well. Um, and then he just uh, cleaned out everyone and then got cleaned out himself. And you are, you're left with a mess and no identity, I think. Um, there's still some talented players at Everton, but um, yeah, there's a lot of rebuilding to do at that club, I think. Yeah, well, we're going to talk a little bit about Frank Lampard in a minute as well. He's being appointed now. But we were talking earlier just about Newcastle have obviously got a lot of money now. Um, they've come into this money. Um, we've we've had a diff, quite a difficult transfer window because of the amount of money we've got. But Everton are probably a good uh, case example of the pitfalls of having a lot of money and trying to spend a lot of money in the transfer market. So what do you think the the lessons... Josh, that Newcastle can take from the way Everton went about things because we don't want to be signing Yannick Bolassi for 30 million like Everton did. Or we don't want to... There was that summer where Everton signed every creative number 10 attacker midfielder that was on the yep. market. What what lessons can Newcastle learn from the mistakes Everton made? I, I think I sort of touched on it before where you, you need to have someone driving the strategy and, and everyone on board that strategy and one particular person driving that strategy. Because to, to your point, we had, well, so we're always chasing Gilfie Sigurdsson. Um, we brought in David Clarkson from Ajax, both very similar players. And then Rooney became available and we, and we yeah. bring in Rooney. And, and I, I get it, right? So like Rooney came from Everton um, wanted to come back to the club, 
ticks, does tick a lot of boxes, and he wasn't by any means a failure. But I really felt for like Davy Clarkson. <laughs> he's come over with an opportunity and they've signed Sigurdsson and, and Rooney who played in the same position. He was always going to fail. So I look at if, if you've got the strategy in place, uh, other things to look at it, don't the, the really lengthy contracts with really high salaries, um, if that doesn't turn out. So like Pelasi was actually playing half decent with us. He, he's worked, had a good relationship with Lukaku at the time then did his ACL and just didn't come back from that. But the issue was massive contract, long contract. We just couldn't. We had, had to deal with loan spells. It's the same with Cenk Tosin. Um, mm. Paying overs. And I know it's it's really difficult not to in your situation. Like, um, But mm. I, I look at some of the signings you've made. It looks as though you've bought players. It'd be great to go out and get your Robinho's like City did when they first came into, into money. But it looks as though, from an outsider looking in, you're buying players that should play for the shirt. I don't mm. think it's hard hard to get a gauge, but a lot of them, I, I look at it and go, I don't think they're going to sign just purely for the paycheck. Um, mm. they're, they're, they're players that seem to be ones that will have a crack. Um, mm. Sort of going back to what we were talking about, Timmy Kale with before. Um, so yeah, it's easier said than done, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we've 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 had that experience already, where clubs have been um, moving goalposts on transfer fees. Everyone knows that we're backed by Saudi cash, you know. So it's like there's the Newcastle tax that's that's going to happen, mm-hmm. um, and our transfer window has been particularly difficult because of the league position as well. So we're kind of in a desperate situation, but we have we have signed kind of Premier League ready players, and then one unknown quantity who who's a Brazilian international so hopefully things are going to go pretty well for us there but Everton are in kind of um, financial fair play uh, trouble now aren't they and they've also got the stadium being built so that's yep. probably contributed to things as well is that right? Yeah spot on and and that's where so when Rafa came in at the start of the season hands were tied had no transfer budget um, was able to get Damari Gray for 1.7 mil, which is an absolute steal. He's been amazing. But like he had to work with Townsend on a free, um, a couple of others I can't think of the top of my head. Rondon. Rafa yeah, loves Rondon. Yeah, gosh, Rondon. Gee whiz. Um, I, I note that Cenk Tosin got brought on last night uh, and Rondon wasn't within sight. So Frank might have made his mind up there. I'm not quite sure. But, um, but yeah, so in fairness to him, he didn't have a lot to work with there in terms of being able to sign players. Uh but, but yeah, financial fair play, that, that's something that we've just blown out of the water. And things like this is going back to everyone having their own say on, on matters and transfer matters. Mashiri, the rumour is that he was the one that brought in Iwobi um, hmm. on deadline day for 28 mil or 30 mil, whatever it was, pounds. And, um, and, and again... I, he, he hasn't been great for us. I don't like slagging off players because get copping heat on social media and that's never good for anyone. But he, he hasn't been great. But that that sort of thing contributes to fair, financial fair play when you don't have one particular person managing it. You've got people just buying players left, right and centre. And that's killed us. Like trying to offload James Rodriguez um, mm. on, on these massive wages. Can't get rid of Cenk Tosin, who just wants to see out his contract. And again, in fairness... He's never going to get a payday like this again. Can't blame <laughs> if him. You want to support your family. Um, as much as I hate it, I want him gone. 
from a financial fair play point of view, that's probably why we had to sell Luca Dean. So as much as mm. I disagree with selling Luca Dean, he's he signed a new contract last summer, I think. So that would have been quite a quite a lucrative contract, I'd assume. Um, the the money we get in for him allows us to go in and, and get your Dali Ali, get get your Mikolenko um, from Ukraine as a left back, get young Patterson from Rangers, who, yeah, the fees add up to a similar sort of amount to what we got for Luca Dean, but I don't think the contract values, Delhi Ali aside, especially the younger kids, um, are going to be anywhere near that. So it had to be a lot of juggling. Haven't they done something a bit crazy with Delhi Ali where they're not actually paying any money until he's played 20 games, which he can't yeah. do this season anyway? Yeah. So that transfer fee, and then is it forty million or something, or is that is that yeah. accurate? Yeah, that, that's that's what's been reported. So yeah, you're spot on, and I think it's brilliant. For once, to me, we've actually done something really smart. So until he's played twenty games, when he plays twenty games for the club, we have to pay ten mil. Um, mm. We've only got eighteen games left of the season because he's cup tied, so he can't play for the FA Cup. Um, he's cup tied, so maximum he can play eighteen. So financial fair play for this financial year. It's not going not gonna to impact us, which, apart from a bit of salary, which which is fantastic. Um, yeah, then 10 mil, and then there's talk of 40 mil, but after hit, and no one really knows what the benchmarks are, but it could increase too. Hopefully, it's like a Champions League clause or something like that. <laughs> that's what New, that's what Newcastle tried to do with a, one of the players we were linked with. We tried to yeah. put, a, put a stipulation in that if we win the Champions League, we have to give them a certain amount of money. And quite quite fairly, they just laughed in our face. And I was said, going to ask no if they laughed at all. <laughs> so um, Frank Lampard then. So yep. there was there was a bit of a crazy situation which just added to the whole Everton um, circus last week, where they were linked with the Portuguese manager, and then he went on the Sky Sports News and did some kind of weird interview. Yeah, um, defended himself because of the fa- the negative fan reaction. So that happened, and then Lampard's come in. So, are you yeah. pleased with Lampard? Yeah, I am. Uh, I, I can't remember who I was saying it to. I, I think my mum. My mum keeps it. So myself and my younger brother, the uh, Toffees fans, and, and mum jumps on the bandwagon. And she goes, "Oh, Everton have got a new manager. Is that is that good?" She's got no idea, but she takes an interest. It's cute. And um, <laughs> I, I said to her, "I, I don't know." Oh, the amount of times I've looked at a managerial appointment with optimism over the last seven years or eight years, um, hopefully it is. I'm not unhappy with it. But going by, I guess, his, what, how he likes to play football and his thought process about tactics and the like, I, it's going to bring excitement. Um, and I think he hit the nail on the head when he talks about wanting – wanting to get the crowd excited and play for the crowd and that's and crowd want to see hunger and appetite and, and teams having a crack, um, which is good as to a team. Um, mm. the, the evidence supporters want want our players at least having a crack. If, we, if we're not winning games, um, yeah, they'll still cop heat, but if we're not winning games and they're going through the motions, which at, at times it looked like with Rafa and that um, it's just his game style where – Whereas if, if they're pressing hard and, and, and really trying to have a crack and, and results aren't going their way, yeah, I'm sure the negativity on Twitter, it can be a cesspool at times, um, will still be very high. But, um, yeah, I, I think that's what they look for and that's sort of what Frank tries to bring to the table from what I've seen, one game, but also from his other when he was at Chelsea and the like. Mm. And Big Dunk's still there as well, isn't he? Part of the furniture. 
he is. I'm intrigued to see what happens there. So Frank's kept him on on the um, on the as part of the staff, and yeah, it, it's interesting to me. I think he needs to go elsewhere. Love him, love him, um, club legend and the like. But you, you look at it, and I just go, are you just going to sit here and be an assistant coach or, mm. or a coach um, at Everton your whole career? I think he's fifty years old now. There was talk about him being in contention for the Sunderland job. You guys would love, love, love him there. Um, but, yeah, I, I think he needs to look at those lower league options, potentially. That's just my take on it. Mm. And Everton have got 19 points this season. They're, they're kind of getting dragged into the relegation battle a little bit. Yeah. Do you think it, Do you think it's a serious possibility? Because we, I always just look at the team and think they've got far too many good players to go down, but that's a very dangerous thing to think. What do you think? Yeah, oh, it has to be a possibility. Like, you can't... Oh, I look at our squad too and, and sit there and go, geez, we've got some good players. We shouldn't be in this position, but bad form's bad form. Um, and that's why they had to bite the bullet and make the change with Rafa, because it just wasn't changing. Um, game after game, it was, it was just mediocre. It was, it was really tough to watch. Um, I saw comments out there going, it was more enjoyable to watch Allardyce. Um, and, and I kind of agreed with it. Like, and we were up in arms when he was he was caretaking. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Like You look at it and go, well, if we keep if we keep not winning games and struggling to find results, we're, we're quite close. We need to ch- change it around and hopefully Lampard can, can help with that. Bobby, any final kind of questions or thoughts on anything you've heard there before we move on to talk about the match on Wednesday morning? They're very Newcastle-like, aren't they, Everton? Like everything um, said, it's just, you know, bringing back, yeah, we did that, yeah, we did it, we did that. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. I think Rafa um, wasn't the right fit for them and we went through that not playing well um, and watching some very boring football at times under Rafa, but he was getting the wins for us and we understood the situation with the owner, um, which he fought on, which sort of Rafa's really good at, isn't he? Getting the fans on side um, or he was with us. So, yeah, but um, it's interesting. I also think, you know, Everton's probably too good to go down, but we beat we beat you guys this, on Tuesday and we're one point behind mm. and it's game on. So, yeah, it's interesting. It's going to be a, a interesting end of the year. Yeah, we've got to play each other twice as well because of that postponed game around Christmas time. So that's, oh, two, that's right. two massive games. Um, obviously, the first one's coming up Wednesday morning our time. So what we'll do is after the, the sort of break, we will get into the match and we'll talk about how we think that might go. We'll see you after this. So there's a huge match coming up at St. James's Park on Wednesday morning. It's a 5.45 kickoff Queensland time, I think, 6.45 Melbourne time, which is uh, not, not actually a bad kickoff time compared to some of the ones we have to have to watch. Um, Newcastle are four points behind Everton now and will go within one point with a win. So it really could be dragging Everton into the, into the trouble down there. Um, the teams, as I said before, have to play each other twice because of that postponed game in December. And there's a potential to see up to up to nine January signings on the pitch across both teams. I think Newcastle, at least all five of our signings will be starting the game. So, Bobby, 
Newcastle are the home team, so I'm going to come to you first. How do you think Newcastle are going to set up in terms of the players' the tactics and the formation? And what do you think the approach is going to be from Eddie Howe? Yeah, so I've got all of them starting, all the new recruits. I think Target comes in at left-back um, and Byrne comes in at centre-back on the left-hand side. Um, they're needed. They're very much needed. Um, the defence now has all, you know, three of their four um, as new players, which at the start of the season we needed some reinforcements there. So Trippy has been outstanding on the right-hand side and so let's hope Matty Target rediscovers his form from last year for Villa. Um, the interesting one will be in the midfield. I think we'll go 4-3-3 um, as we have been under Eddie Howe and I think Bruno will come into it. But I wonder if he'll be in a more advanced position than what the reports were on him. I think he got labelled as a defensive midfielder. But I think in the system that we've got with Shelby and Jolinton, he might be a more advanced player in that. Um, and Jolinton, the reports are that he has trained, so he will start. If he doesn't, then that might change to Willock, who would come in, and Gumaresh would... Um, We'll probably slot back a little bit deeper. But, um, yeah, I think we'd, we'd have all the signings in um, ready to go and it'll be interesting how they gel. So it's a it's the case of the unknowns, I think, for us. Mm. Eddie Howe's had, I think, 11 games in charge now and he's actually played this 4-3-3 formation in uh, the last nine games. So for the first two games, you kind of stuck with the three or five at the back, however you want to um, say that. But... He does seem kind of quite intent on this 4-3-3 system. Well, I haven't been particularly good in an attacking sense. We've only scored more than one goal in one of his games, and that was in that first crazy game against Brentford. Um, so I know that you, Bobby, certainly felt that we probably do lack an attacking threat still. We didn't quite get um, a player over the line. We were after Lingard and a couple of other strikers that we didn't get. I'm I'm hoping that Joe Willock can start showing some of the form that he did at the end of last season because if he can start scoring goals from midfield again, that's going to be a really big um, big bonus for us. Um, I do think that Lascelles is going to play as well if he's fit instead of Shah. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily do that, but I think Eddie Howe will do that. I don't think he wants to drop Lascelles. Um, hopefully, with a bit of sort of better defenders around him, it's going to give him that bit of confidence and he's not going to keep making schoolboy errors. Yeah, I think um, Shah against Leeds was our best player on the pitch. Um, but you might be right to drop the captain. It does a lot um, in the dressing room and he might not be up for that. I do think we ended the transfer window with a attacker down. Um, we haven't been able to score more than one goal and I just don't know if we will be able to again. Um, but I think that game against Brentford, we did play a little bit of a different formation. It was more of a 4-2-3-1. A, a um, and so, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see see how this goes, the 4-3-3 and how much influence um, Bruno Gumarias or however you say it. Um, We're just going to call him Bruno, I think. Yeah, I think Bruno, um, how much influence he has on that midfield because that's where it'll be unlocking... Um, unlocking defences as well. His passing, his ability to drive forward um, could um, could enable 
um, some more attacking threats because, I mean, the game against Watford at home, the last home game we had, we had one shot on target. Yeah. The same system. It was shocking. So uh, I think the signings were good. I think everyone's really happy. And I think a lot of our fans have sort of forgotten about what's happened. Even the game against Leeds, we got one goal through a keeping error um, from a free kick from Shelby. So, yeah, it's a bit wait and see on this. I don't want to bring the mood down, but I'm not um, I'm not totally confident in our attacking prowess. I think uh, hopefully having some decent fullbacks as well as Bruno are there in the midfield is going to improve the team as a whole, both attacking and defensively. So I know against Man United, we really should have scored more than one goal. So there has been occasions, we should have had a penalty against Liverpool as well. So there kind of has been occasions where we could have potentially scored more, but... We've been very reliant on St. Maximan to kind of pull a rabbit out of the hat, which is what he did against Manu and against Watford. Um, so we need someone to start contributing a bit more. And it doesn't matter who that is or how it happens, but we're, we're really are desperate for that. Anything in there, Josh, that you particularly worries you or scares you looking at that lineup? I just love um, the the pessimism around scoring, and and because I'm just sitting here going, it's evident. Like there's every chance you score four, um, so I can match that pessimism. <laughs> um, yeah, look, I'm just really intrigued. Like to your point about the fullbacks, especially with Wood in there, um, big boy. So it, it'll be. It'll be yeah. I can imagine that you get the ball in, but you also play quickly on the counter as well. Um, so I think you're going to be quite dangerous with Fraser and ASM um, on on the counter. So I'm not overly confident. Well, I, I still think we should get a result. I, I'm still yeah. There's a lot of danger there. Even though you guys might not be in great form, you've got players there that can can turn it on and set. And I think it's we're playing at home. I think the time for excuses for Eddie is over now. It's his team. He got backed in the transfer market quite heavily. So he's just got to attack it, especially at home. It doesn't matter who we come up against. He's, the excuse is that it's not his team anymore and he doesn't have the, the squad to to play the way he wants to play. I think that that's over now. So he's got to go all out attack um, at home and, yeah, let's see what that, um, where that takes us. And you, you might be aware as well, Josh, that Joe Linton has turned into a real superstar for Newcastle over the last few, because he was a bit of a running joke, really, for the last few years. And he's really turned into this kind of all-action Patrick Vieira clone in midfield there. So we've got the, the two Brazilians sitting in the midfield. So it could be pretty exciting, actually. Absolutely. No, I was aware of that. I have I have seen that he's changed his game and he's sitting deeper now, and which... I, I don't know where I was watching a game. I was sitting there going, what's he doing back there? And then, and then did a bit of research and saw he's actually, um, yeah, changed, changed the way he plays, but all for the better as well. So it's always fun having a couple of Brazilians in the team. Yeah. Yeah, he, 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 we made the joke that he found his passport over the last couple of months. He realised he's Brazilian and he's actually really good at football. Uh, so, <laughs> and there was, such, there, was, there was such a nice video of him um, walking into the dressing room the other day and meeting Joe Linton and they had a nice cuddle. It was just, it brought a tear to the eye. It was so emotional. It was lovely. I was at, One more thing on that, Bobby, actually, you've got Shelby as the captain there. I just wonder whether, if Lascelles doesn't play, whether Trippier might get the captain's armband. I think he's, he's already shown in three games that he's really is got, he is that captain material for us. Uh, if it was up to me, Trippy would be captain. I'm not too sure. I didn't put the C on Shelby, and I wouldn't put the C on Shelby. Um, absolutely not. Um, but yeah, Trippy is the captain even now. I think he's the one that you even see him in the trading videos and 
and the way he's, you know, sort of coaching and, and demanding of the players. So, um, yeah, Trippier, I would put the captain's armband on and I think I would do it regardless of if LaSalle plays or not, to be honest. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think it could it could maybe destabilise things a little bit, but um, he is clearly sort of the best, most influential player we've got at the moment. Um, I think, yeah, Lascelles might just have to suck that one up. Well, he played three games and he he's our player of the month in his first um, first go at it. So he's different class and mm. his leadership on the pitch, you can just see it. So hopefully with Matty Target, on the other side, he's got a bit more support and, um, yeah, we can whip some balls into Wood and um, ASM and Fraser can get closer and um, we can find the back of the net a few more times than once. Dan Burns that- 10, me- 10 metres tall as well, so um, that'll be good from corners. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, as I said, I'll take a 1-0 win against Everton. I'll take a 1-0 win against most. But, um, yeah, hopefully there's a few more goals in us. Um, and, yeah, Dan Byrne, to see him... Um, when we've got corners, will be will be quite good. He's absolutely massive, isn't he? Oh, he made Lascelles look like Ryan Fraser. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. The picture, like Lascelles, our biggest player, and um, he, he was just dwarfed by Dan Byrne in the pictures. So, yeah. how tall is he? He's six uh, seven. Six seven. He's two meters. Two meters something. He's the same size as Peter Crouch. That's what okay. I was told. Yeah. Jeez. So, um, but he doesn't play. Oh, from what I've heard from a couple of Brighton fans, they've told me that he doesn't play tall. He won't score many headed goals. Um, he's very good with the ball at his feet. So he's sort of that enigma that he's really tall, but he might not score many headed goals. There might be a volley from outside the box. So we'll see. What talking happens. of talking of tall sportsmen, I was laughing when I arrived in Australia and I was watching the Gold Coast AFL there, the Suns play. And they had two meter Peter playing as a as a forward. I was like, that's just the most Australian nickname ever. I love that. Brilliant. Right. So let's have a look at the at what you think, Josh, the Everton team might be. I just want to say before I look at this, you you sent this through to me earlier, and I looked at it and I just felt terrified immediately. So did Ever- I. Everton have got a lot of very very good players. <laughs> I don't know how you lose a game with that team in. It's like an all-star. Like it's what you'd pick on Football Manager, to be honest. Yeah, back in the day, it's reminded bring me back. It's um... the only sorry. The only thing that that did make me feel better was Pickford and goal. But yeah, over to you. <laughs> His little arms, you reckon? Little T-Rex yeah. arms. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we always hear from the copites. Um, yeah, it's this is a stab in the dark, like. It's really difficult, I guess, a couple of things to take into consideration. We've only seen one starting lineup from Lampard, um, where we played three, or as you alluded to before, five at the back, however you want to look at it. Um, don't know if Calvert-Lewin's going to be fit. You've got Van der Beek um, and Deli Ali now available, where they weren't overnight. Um, do they start? What sort of formation? Andre Gomez was best on a park for us last night. Does he get dropped for one of them? And and he's while he's not defensive, he does normally sit a little bit deeper than what I understand those two, especially Deli Ali, um, does. So would that leave just Allen as our sole defensive midfielder? And would that be enough? I, I don't know. Um, so it's it's really hard to know. Michael Keane, he hasn't had a great season, so I've got Holgate in ahead of him, um, who, who was quite good overnight against Brentford. But will will that 
will he get a spot against Kane, who historically always seems to get picked? Um, yeah, do we go five at, five at the back and, and have Kane in there with those, with Holgate and Mina? Um, it's it's bloody tough to know. It's very difficult to pick at the moment. And then you've got Anthony Gordon, who's been unreal. He's been mm. out of the youth academy. He's just been a shining light of the season, um, along with Damari Gray. And he, he's been fantastic playing as inverted winger overnight on the right-hand side. Um, if Calvert-Lewin isn't picked, if he's not fit, you've got Rich Allison up top and, and you bring Anthony Gordon into the mix. Mm. What about Townsend? He had quite a good start, didn't he, to the season? He did. He, he's a great bench option for mine. Um, you, and he's worthy of, of starting, but he's not in. He's not going to start ahead of Gray um, or Anthony Gordon, if, if you would ask me. So... Um, just on current form, but like he, he scored coming on as a sub overnight. So he's all, he, for ages we've had a reasonable starting eleven, and then you look at our bench. And over the last couple of years, the amount of times we've named, I think there's been times we've named three goalkeepers on the bench. Um, but there's been yeah multiple times we've named two. Like we've now suddenly starting to get some depth, which is fantastic. So Townsend, Townsend's been great. He seemed to do do well for you guys as well. Um, mm, yeah, he was good. Just a workhorse. You know where you're getting from him. Again, going back to your Timmy Kale, my Timmy Kale comment before, like he, he just works his ass off. And and again, Evertonians want to see that. Um, he's dropped in form a little bit from the start of the year, but great to see him on the score sheet overnight. Yeah, so Everton won 4-1, didn't they, overnight against Brentford yeah. in the Cup? Yeah, what was the what what happened in that game then? Was it a really strong performance from what you know? I missed the first half. Um, I'm so sleep deprived at the moment. I've got an 11 week old at home and then two other kids. And for, fortunately or unfortunately, um, the four year old daughter woke up at 3 a.m. So I go, I'll just jump in jump in her bed, get her back to sleep, and watch the second half, which is what I did. So I only really saw the second half. But um, the the pressing, so the the willingness and and the like to try and win the ball back and the putting pressure on the opposition was just completely different um, to to what we were doing under Rafa. Um, so the pressure and then just the quick passing, take, taking the taking risks. So you guys might actually find some opportunities out out of that. Um, a lot of passing through the two in midfield, being Alan and and Gon, um, Andre Gomez overnight. So um, with Mikalenko and Coleman pushing up. Uh, as, as for fullbacks, and there was just a lot of passing, a lot of short passing, taking on risks. Um, try, from what Lampard said after the game, trying to play some nice football, um, but also I guess backing in these talented players who potentially have been subject to a, more of a longer ball strategy under Rafa, um, and now coming back, going, "Hey, we're backing you in. You're talented players. You're, you're Brazilian international in Alan, um, yeah, Alan." Played, played at clubs like Napoli and the like. Yeah, had Andre Gomez, Portuguese international, played at Barcelona, Valencia. Mm. Blokes like that where you're sitting there going, no, we're going to back you in to be able to actually play football. Um, it was a lot nicer to watch, but it was just manic. Yeah, this thinking about this, this game could be crazy, couldn't it? I think it, it could anything could happen here. So Newcastle's first game under Howe was a 3-3 against Brentford. And looking at these teams um, and the kind of unknowns, that something like that could happen again here, I think. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Like our, our defense isn't overly strong. Um, Coleman should have been replaced, and when I say replaced, respectfully, we should have brought in another right back 
um, a long time ago. We finally have, but he's a young fellow from Rangers who, who's still mm-hmm. finding his feet a bit. And, um, and so, and Coleman's still serviceable. Don't get me wrong; he still <laughs> work, works his ass off. How old is Coleman now? He's be in his thirties, maybe. Yeah. 30, yeah. yeah, about 33. Um, it's been a wonderful bad, play for you. Yeah, yeah, 60,000 pounds out of Ireland. Like, mm. <laughs> fantastic buy. Um, but Mikolenko on the other side, he's been serviceable, but he hasn't shone. Um, he's come out of the Ukrainian league. Yeah, played Champions League and the like, but come from Dynamo Kiev. Um, and and you, I'm interested to see how he comes up against Trippier. Mm. Because and and those coming down the right hand side because I think he he he's now gets to work with Leighton Baines and Ashley Cole. So if if he can't turn into a gun left back, he, he was never going to. Um, but it'll be really interesting to see how our defence holds up against your lot. And do you think Van der Beek is a solid signing then? Because obviously he's a really good player, and um, but there's, there must be reasons why Man United other than the fact that they're also a basket case at the moment, why they haven't been playing him or he's barely had a game. Yeah, I don't know enough about it, to be brutally honest. Um, he, to, he is, when he was at Ajax, gun player, uh, absolutely mm. fantastic. But I think he was playing as an attacking midfielder, late runs into the box. And I don't think, in from what I understand, when he was at Man U, he, well, first and foremost, he wasn't getting games. And when he was, he was in a deeper position, um, which isn't really his game. So... I'm assuming that Lampard has brought him in to play to his strengths. Um, yeah, we needed more players in the midfield, but if anyone's going to sit deeper, it's going to be Gomez and Alan and um, I, don't, I don't know, maybe Kabarman, if, if you guys even know who mm. he is. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It'll be very interesting to see if Van der Beek starts or when he does play, how he actually lines up. Because his talent, talent's absolutely that- there. That Vanderbeek Allen partnership is an intriguing one and has massive potential. To be honest, oh, yeah. it's the way they both play and their talent and their strengths. It could be something that um, yeah gets really um, unlocks it for you guys because I lo- I rate Vanderbeek really highly and you're right he's more of an attacking midfielder. Um, and Manchester United obviously didn't see his talent um, yep. to do that, but I think that that relationship there, that partnership there, could be really fruitful for you. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully on Wednesday morning. But we'll, um, but I, I I don't know where the two of the two new signings, Van der Beek and, and Deli Ali, line up in the same starting lineup. Um, I've got them in there because I've got a hunch of both start, but I just don't know. I think it's going to be too attacking minded um, if if they do start and I'd, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they do. Will Van der Beek have to sit back a little bit deeper because him and Art Deli Ali both love their late runs into the box. Um, it's almost like we needed Dakure back to to mm. sit deeper and then just play one of them, and, and that's where I think Gomez potentially could start, and, and only one of those two new signings will start. I don't know about you, Bobby, but I'm just more nervous than I was before looking at looking at this Everton team. <laughs> They've got so many good players. When I saw when I saw this team come through, I just I went wow. Um, there's a lot of good players on that list, and obviously they haven't been playing up to their potential. Um, obviously, been playing a style with what we know with Rafa is very defensive, but they've got the as um, Sharpie was saying, they've got the capabilities definitely to to play a different style. And once you get their confidence back, I think um, yeah, Sky could be the limit. Let's hope it doesn't click in time for the game coming up. Um, 
but uh, yeah, to, on paper, it's a it's a very very good good lineup. If Calvert Lewin's not fit, you have Rich Allison up top with um, Anthony Gordon coming into a lineup, and if you do have a Van Der Beek and Deli Ali in there, um, I'm expecting manic movement and changing of positions uh, up up forward, and especially with your two two centre halves being tall, um, and, and yeah. What, who's in you play? Burn, isn't it? He's meant to be yeah. reasonably mobile. I know he like Bob he likes to play football, but I don't know how mobile he can be at six foot seven. Maybe that's a tact that we'll take going well. Hang yeah, on, our defence is not isn't quick at all, yeah. so that's Richarlison could cause some problems there. Angry. Yeah, yeah. So maybe that's something we we might do as opposed to Calvert Lewin, who, who is in great form last season at the start of the year, but in his couple of games back, he hasn't found his feet. Um, so maybe. And he has become injured again. Just a slight knock. I don't know what the, the problem was, but maybe they don't bring him back in and, and go for the, the quicker type of setup up front. Let's have some predictions for the game then. Um, I, I don't know whether, because of the stakes in this game, such high stakes, whether that could feed into the players a little bit. Newcastle players have been nervous at home, like very noticeably nervous at home as well. Um, I had, I did have down a 1-1 draw um, because we always seem to draw 1-1. But having having um, had this conversation, I think it might it could be more like two two because I think there's just going to be crazy attacking going on from both sides. So I'm going to go for a two two draw, Bobby. Yeah, I, <laughs> I was thinking a one one as well coming into it, but um, I see some more goals in this. I look, I don't know, I don't know to be honest. Our players at home have been spooked. I'd be more confident if this was away from home. To be honest, um, a bit more galvanising. I'll say two one to us. I think. We'll um, the last ten minutes or so it'll be squeaky bum time, but um, we'll luckily get through. Josh, what's your prediction? I'm I'm leaning. Th- thankfully, we had the win overnight, so I've got a little bit of optimism back. Because if we we ran this catch up last night, I'm probably looking at a three 0 win to you guys. But <laughs> um, I, I'm I'm probably leaning two one to us. I, I think that it just depends on how our defence stacks up um, and holds up. But I think that with the, the numbers we've got back and the quality up, up top that we've got, we should be able to get that win, hopefully. Excellent. Thanks very much. So we will be back next week, uh, probably on Wednesday or Thursday, for a review of this game. So please follow us on Twitter at TuneUnderPod. Subscribe on YouTube. Uh, we're also on Facebook and our website. It's got loads of good transfer window content. That's www.tuneunder.com. We've also got our competition running for another few days for Newcastle fans, so you can win a Newcastle shirt with the name and number of one of the new sign-ins. Um, all you have to do is head over to Twitter, like and retweet the pin tweet and follow our account. Thanks very much, Bobby. Thanks, Jack. Thanks, Sharpie. Thanks for coming on, mate. Yeah, My and pleasure, a, special, a special thank you to you, Josh, for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, boys. Lots of fun. Great stuff. We'll, we'll have you on again, uh, hopefully sometime after we've beaten you. <laughs> No comment. Cheers, everyone. See you soon. See you guys.